Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora and welcome. From Radio New Zealand National, here's our changing world. Alex Taylor is exploring one of the great mysteries in biology, the evolution of intelligence. He wants to understand how humans think differently from the rest of the animal kingdom, and to find out, he's studying the cognitive and problem-solving abilities of birds, particularly New Caledonian crows. His work has earned him the Prime Minister's McDiamond Emerging Scientist Award, and he tells Veronica that bird brains can teach us a lot about being smart. Birds are separated from us by 300 million years of evolution, so they're this um, fantastic kind of way of uh, uncovering what kind of processes consistently uh, evolve in terms of the mind. So if we want to understand general principles about how minds evolve, not just something specific to our own story, but generally what kind of predictability there is in terms of intelligence, then looking at birds allows us to kind of get a, a different perspective. It's like studying an octopus uh, or a dolphin. You get these perspectives where a species is very distantly related from us and we look to see how their minds have evolved. We look to see if evolution has kind of carved their minds in the same way to get the same kind of thought processes arising. And that's really useful because it allows us to kind of form a, a really deep theory uh, of how intelligence evolves, which can then inform our own understanding of what's particularly special about our own story, what it is that's unique about our own minds. In first instance, you'd be looking at their behaviour rather than any brain structure or any anatomy. Yeah, so in terms of my work, we, we've really focused on behaviour. There are other researchers that have become interested in looking at brain structure, but what we focus on is kind of more the mind. So we're looking to see how these birds think, kind of coming from a top-down process rather than kind of building up from neural substrates through to networks and then uh, towards kind of like higher thought processes. We're attempting to do our research from the top down, so looking to try and uh, identify similarities in thought processes between uh, humans uh, and birds uh, and also the differences as well. You chose a particular bird for this, known to be quite smart. The New Caledonian crow is kind of uh, one of these standout species. I first um, heard about it when I was an undergrad at university and the thing about this bird that's so amazing is the fact that it, it not only uses tools but makes tools. So tool use is relatively rare across the animal kingdom and then tool manufacture is even rarer. Uh, and what these crows actually do that's amazing is that they uh, carve hooks. So we kind of talk about the crafting of tools where you impose some kind of three-dimensional form onto a natural material. So humans do this a lot, you know, from uh, hand axes and arrowheads and stone all the way through to our modern techno technology. You know, everything around us is you know, created by us imposing kind of three-dimensional form onto natural materials. Um, but that's really, really rare to see in nature. So we really just see that uh, in chimpanzees and orangutans and these crows. So that made them really special. And then when I discovered that not even chimpanzees and orangutans are actually crafting hooks out of wood, actually carving these hooks from uh, 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 sticks, uh, that's when I became really excited because it's just... Um, it's amazing to see this level of technology uh, in, a, in a bird species that obviously begs the question of you know, what's going through their minds that's allowed them to kind of create these kind of behaviours. 
How do you figure that out? What goes through their mind? Oh, do you with set them exercise? <laughs> yeah. So we we give them problems to solve and we um, try to make inferences from how they solve the problem, how they're thinking. So often we're looking to see how well if they can solve a problem for the very first time. That's obviously a great indication that they've really um, got a good grasp of it. Uh, the other thing we can do is kind of compare their performances to performances we see in chimpanzees or in monkeys or even in children. And so some of the work we've done uh, in the past few years has been kind of directly comparing uh, young children and crows, which on the, on the face of it might sound like a kind of a bit of a crazy comparison to compare such different organisms. But there's points where the crows are solving problems that even you know quite old children kind of struggle with well. I mean quite old, I mean around five years, but that's quite old, old, four year old yeah, yeah. In, term, com- in comparison to an animal. So it's really interesting to see these points uh, of similarity. W- whether they actually reflect deep similarities in how these two species are thinking is it's really a question we're looking to answer in the future. So it's, you know, for this kind of research, it's really the start of the story rather than uh, the end when it comes to really understanding what's going through their minds. But do you assume that what the crow can do is something that a child in its learning will also go through, that perhaps it's an earlier stage of in that evolutionary process? Yeah, something like that. There's lots of different ways that both the crows and the children, they could be similar, they could not. The idea here is that if we, because of these these amazing tool behaviours, if we can map out how the crows are thinking, it might give us an understanding of, of how we were thinking two million years ago. So there's this whole point here that you know you can't um, rerun history to kind of figure out you know what really happened. And there's the, you know we have some of these amazing artifacts, the hand axes, uh, the bone tools, things like this, but we don't have any idea of like how our ancestors were thinking. Really, we have to make these big jumps. And so when we find these kind of model species, species that show in this case tool behaviors that are really quite similar to our own two million years ago. That allows us to kind of start looking to see, well, what kind of tools does a mind need in order to create actual tools? Like, you know, what is it kind of like necessary for you to kind of create these uh, technical innovations? But wouldn't you at some point need to actually look inside the brain, either look specifically at anatomy of the brain or put a crow into a, some form of scan? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's been a, a couple of studies that have actually started looking at this. It's obviously you know, a little bit difficult. The the, the bird brain itself uh, is, has a very different structure from the mammalian brain, so it's hard to know exactly how to compare between the two directly. But there have been some fantastic studies where crows have had a, a radioactive tracer popped into the bloodstream and then they've um, watched some kind of sequence of events and then they've been uh, put to sleep for 15 minutes and popped into a PET scan and you can kind of see the areas uh, that are lighting up. And that, again, that research is very much in its beginnings, but it's, it's really going to be like a, a really nice approach that can work with our own approach of looking at the behaviours because obviously the, the kind of crucial thing is to develop really nice sequences to show these birds so that then afterwards you can kind of see which areas of their brain are lighting up. You're looking specifically at their tool use and tool making Mm. skills, but with birds, they are incredible builders. Wouldn't nest building also be quite interesting? I mean, that must require some brain capacity to construct a nest. Yeah, so nest building is something that I think has been largely overlooked. There's there's actually been quite a big debate in our field over the past kind of 10 years about whether building a nest is some kind of tool use or whether it's a different type of behaviour. But one of the things I think is fascinating is that with nest building, you really only get one shot at it every year. If you build a bad nest, one that falls down or is uh, predators are easily able to find it, then you uh, lose your own for that year and, and then you have to start again. So like having some kind of um, 
you know, simple learning process may really well not, not, not cut it for nest building. Whereas for tool use, you can imagine, okay, you know, we ourselves, you know, we do a lot of trial and error when it comes to solving problems with tools. We'll try one tool. If it doesn't work, we'll go back, we'll get another tool, and we'll jimmy out a solution to the problem in some way. Whereas with nest building, you don't have that luxury. So it's a really... Um, understudied area there's a few researchers across the world particularly in scotland now who are starting to think about this and i think that that, that could be a really interesting area when we start creating experiments that really look at um, nest building and what kind of thought processes are underpinning that are you self thinking about working with children yes so, absolutely so i published a couple of papers with children already and i have a few more experiments planned um with collaborators over the next five years we're going to be we have a european research council grant where we're going to be comparing the minds of children uh, and crows specifically to try and un get to this deep theory of how intelligence evolves by looking for the similarities between these very different types of minds by observing behavior though in first instance, yeah, so giving absolutely. them tasks and observing yeah. how they solve it. Yeah, so it's going to be essentially we're going to be giving children and crows uh, identical tasks, and we're looking to see what the children do well at, what the crows do well at. Do they make the same kinds of mistakes? So we can start really kind of sculpting out, like you know, the kind of thought processes going through their minds uh, by looking at these behaviours, uh, and that's going to allow us to look the kind of these um, similarities. And one of the really interesting things about this project is we're also working with adult humans as well, because while humans like to think of themselves as being top of the tree and, and, and very smart. And when it comes to a lot of problems involving causality, we actually tend to do uh, rather poorly. So there's a lot of instances, uh, adult humans kind of struggling. So we actually have some problems which we're presenting to adults and then children and the crows and just trying to see how all three groups stack up. Can you talk me through those examples? Um, because I was just going to ask, you know, what if the crow turns out to be smarter than, than the rest? <laughs> well, there's, like, there's a lovely example from Japan of uh, chimpanzees showing uh, the ability to kind of memorize up to, I think it's now up to 16 numbers flash up on a screen and they have to remember their positions in order and their, their working memory is way better than ours and they can do that. So we're really interested to see whether they're the same kind of things with the crows as well. Can you talk me through, are there any theories out there at the moment when you think about evolution of intelligence. What's the thinking at the moment where there was a linear progression through, as we tend to think, our ancestors in all mm. forms to us, or whether it's more a matter of different kinds of intelligence being in the animal kingdom and we mm. ended up with one? That's a great question. So at the moment, the current kind of thinking, which has been around for a little bit, is this idea of there being both social and technical intelligence. And there's this kind of idea that species that live in large groups uh, so ourselves, chimpanzees, um, you know, many different mammalian species, actually. Uh, hyenas is a nice example of one. They should have quite sophisticated social intelligence for dealing with each other and being able to kind of like think about what each, other, each other's thinking, cooperate with each other, these kind of things. And then there's this idea also that it's more the technical problems that kind of like require you to be smart. So it's things about uh, being able to get food from hard to reach places. Uh, being able to like navigate um, efficiently through your world, being able to make good foraging decisions. This is where the kind of the, the focus on tool use has come from. This idea that you know, if if you have to think hard about how to get your food, if you need to take a long time to learn how to get your food, then that might be a really good selective pressure that's going to lead to intelligence. So one of the things that's really interesting is that both for uh, chimpanzees when they're learning to crack nuts with rocks, you know, humans will look at that as a quite a simple behavior, but it takes a young chimpanzee about five years to learn that behavior, even though it really is just a case of putting a rock on another rock and then hitting it in order to get the food. And same with the crows, when the crows are kind of creating these hook tools in the wild, they're again taking quite a long time, you know, 18 months to learn, you know, the subtleties of how to make these tools well. It's definitely the case that the kind of like these technical problems also create some kind of, of constraints 
on learning and on the development of tool use, which therefore means it's quite likely you know, there's been some kind of evolution of more sophisticated types of intelligence to get better and better at dealing with those kind of problems. So there's kind of this general debate between people who think intelligence is very modular, so there's lots of different types of intelligence, uh, and people who think the intelligence um, is very general, and there's kind of one overall kind of mechanism. And so one of the things that our research has really been showing recently is that it looks like it's far more different types of intelligence. It's because we're seeing the crows solve some kinds of problems and then fail others, which really suggests that you know it's not the case that they're just generally smart at all. What you seem to be seeing with the COVID mind is that they're they're particularly smart at particular types of problems. When it comes to you know social problems, maybe far less so. Particularly when it comes to kind of cooperating and kind of um, having a sense of fairness, uh, we have some recent work really showing that the crows don't have those kind of social smarts. So this again, this is where you start getting to right down to the fundamentals about what kind of form human intelligence takes. Right, if we can start understanding what the crows are lacking as well as what they have, then we get a much better picture of which parts of our own intelligence are actually modular rather than being general. So one example we have is being able to form some kind of theory around around the world and then being able to act on that theory and create new behaviours. You kind of think that those are two sides of the same coin, really. But in actual fact, the crows have kind of shown us that they do have the ability to form some theory, to ask why, but then they really struggle once they have some knowledge, actually kind of create brand new behaviours based on that knowledge. So they can think, but they can't always do. And we didn't actually realise that there was going to be any kind of difference there. So these are the kind of patterns that we're starting to see emerge. We always have to do a lot more work there, but that's where we are maybe going to make some progress on this big question. That was Alex Taylor, a Rutherford Discovery Fellow and biologist at the University of Auckland, who won the 2015 Prime Minister's McDiamond Emerging Scientist Award. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter at RNZ underscore science. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.